This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week podcast. We're talking TV today. We're joined by France, by matron Frances Bolton, otherwise known as um, Mandy McElhaney. Welcome, Mandy. Thank you. So good to be here. <laughs> now we get you. Now the ser- the day we're recording this, the season is it season five returns or season four? Season four. Season yeah. four. Yeah. Wow. Those four um, four seasons have gone by pretty quickly to me. It, uh, and we're also joined by Andrew McCarter, I should say today. Hi. Welcome back, Andrew. Hi. But Andrew, to me, it still seems like a relatively new show, even though we're already into season four. Yeah, it does. It, it doesn't feel like it's hung around too long, and I think they're moving with the times. Every time the show comes back, it's it's changed the years somewhat, and they say now the show's set in this year, and straight away you start thinking, okay, great, what happened in Australian history that time? And you know, this is always I love a period piece, and we don't do many of them in Australia, and uh, particularly to be doing a long-running series, it's really good to see. Yeah. Yeah. Now, Mandy, you're still filming this season, is that right? Yes, yeah. We're coming up to the end of uh, filming this season. Yeah. So um, it's wonderful to be premiering premiering on air at the same time as we're Is that finishing. unusual? Is it, have you usually finished by the time it gets to yeah, air? Yeah, usually you've finished and you've had time for all the, um, the insecurities to <laughs> build in your mind <laughs> until it um, you know hits the screens. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be wonderful to be with the people that I'm making the show with um, and to go on set the next day and talk about and how their friends and family reacted to it. Right, right. The um, ha- tell us about how your characters sort of grown and changed over the years. I mean, because you were quite. I don't know. Have you got? Um, have you? Have you? You're more sort of um, friend, friendly. Yeah. Have you? Have you yeah. Yeah, well, yeah, you're very uptight. You were pretty harsh, but you seem to have been, I don't know, you've sort of softened a little bit over the over the years. Well, this season where it's 1972 and um, it's the year Gough Whitlam uh, got into power. Right. And I think that is a wonderful metaphor for matrons change you know because she's one of the old guard she's the she's an old conservative and um times are changing and uh you know despite you know herself despite her holding on to the past she has to um, make some concessions to to the changes that are happening around her and perhaps even look at her life with a little bit of regret that the same opportunities were not available to her. Mm, Interesting. Would you uh, classify her as the most uptight character that you've ever played? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah, she's she's all about control. And I think the wonderful thing the writers have given her this series is that she... She has to admit to being human um, and she's always prided herself, no matter you know what her her failures are at um, personal relationships she's always been extraordinary at her job and um, and they've they've given her a wonderful arc in this series where she has to admit her own failings and and her immense pride you know becomes her the sword on which she falls and um, 
and uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful arc to play this series. The writers have always given the character though these moments where she's very strict, but there's always these moments where you see that she's got a sense of humour or that she's going to turn a blind eye to something, and you, you need those moments that the character isn't totally one-dimensional, but you always see these moments where she's prepared to let something slide. A yeah. lot of stuff has to be by the ball, but every now and then you see these moments where you see this really lovely hmm. soft human side to her. Yeah, I mean, she's had to make an immense personal sacrifice, uh, and she does it for the love of her job and for the belief that she's doing the right thing and that she's giving these girls especially you know that she's um she's very strict with that she's giving them the chance to remake themselves and um they've made a terrible mistake in her eyes and um she's giving them the chance to learn about self-responsibility and um and so she, I think she she does it at the expense of having meaningful, intimate relationships, and um, yeah. you know. But she sees that as her duty and her sacrifice. And I think there's something very admirable about that. Um, and it's all done with immense love, you know. Tell us a little bit about um, preparing for a, for a new season. Do you go into their sort of read-throughs and stuff like that? Uh, tell us what happens. Uh, well, the, I've never participated as a regular in a series before, and um, it's a wonderful... It, you know, when I first began this series, I I didn't know how I was going to to do it, frankly, because it's a completely foreign way of working for me. I was used to having a beginning, middle and end, um, an arc for the character, uh, super objective, and then you, you work your way through the, the process and you get to an end point. Whereas a series, I didn't know what would happen from week to week. Um, and I'm now at this stage where I think it's just been the most enormous privilege to be part of a series because you get to live the life of the character. You get to be surprised in the way the character would be surprised. You get to develop real relationships that are on record. They're not just your past that you've created imaginatively for yourself. Yeah. You know, you you actually you have relationships with those people that you can you can look at if you want, you know. Um, and so for the process, a lot of the character work exists um, already uh, and it's about developing new relationships. Like in this series, they've got new characters coming in and, um, and so it's exploring how your character would deal with these new personalities and everybody brings a different energy to the show, you know. So, um, so we, would, we, we begin with some read-throughs, um, you know, those conversations with wardrobe and costume and things like that. And this series we've decided to uh, loosen up a little bit of the um, constrictive underwear. <laughs> you know, uh, that she started to um, pop a few buttons and um, <laughs> she's, um, you know, and her hair's a little bit less um, tight as a sort of, you know, an expression of what's happening to her internally. Um, so that was a great um, 
a great, uh, you know, pre-production sort of uh, experience with those wonderful artists that we work with. Um, and yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I set foot into that hospital, as soon as I have that uniform on, I I feel that I'm I'm back. <laughs> it's a wonderful feeling. One of the first lines you have in this first episode is you talk you talk about the new wing, and so straight away I looked at when well they must be in a new set and this must be a new location. Is this the third time that you've had to move locations because you were filming at Parramatta once? And then, did you not move once before, before you've made this next move? No, we've always been in the same home in Parramatta, um, in the King's College grounds. Uh, and they've done a wonderful job, this series, at recreating... Um, the hospital that we all know and love, but also using it as an opportunity to uh, create new areas. Um, and there's a new nightclub and things like that that everyone's going to. Uh, but it's in a completely different location this time. Uh, it's a lot less drive for most people. <laughs> and um, We're shooting at Callan Park. And um, that's, at first it was extremely strange, uh, even though, they, you know, they've done such a great job. You know, the geography of the place is different. So, um, and, uh, yeah, that was very weird at first. But um, but it's worked really well. And, you know, the, the great thing about that that move after three three series is that we can um you know the the cameraman the lighting and everyone can talk you know to the art directors and work out what would be better you know for for um shooting long term so yeah it's been um it's been interesting moving and i think it's paid off it's worked yeah tell us a little bit about some of your cast members have you have you made sort of um your new long-term friendships with many of the people you've been working with? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, the cast members are extraordinary and um, especially for the young young women in the show, I really feel like and it really came home to me in this series when we, we got a new batch of girls and I saw how how young they were and how at the beginning of their careers they are. And I've watched the other girls um, grow up and uh, branch out and have and begin extraordinary commit careers themselves. And they've been mentoring the young girls that have come in. And it's um, it's been one of the great privileges of my career is to watch this these young this young talent um, grow before my eyes. Yes. And I they're feel really, they're really lucky though. Those first girls that were there. Mm. Miranda Tapsell, Harriet Dye, Grace Sophie, yeah, Gracie Gilbert, yeah, Sophie Henser. You know, because they've they've been integrated into the series. Their story arc wasn't just they had their baby and then they got to leave. They've all they've all found things to do to keep them there. Mm. Then, as you say, in real life, but also in the show too, then mentor the next bunch of young unwed yes. mothers <laughs> yeah. that have to drive the storyline. Yeah, yeah, it's um. And they, they've learnt so much themselves and we've been so lucky because they, they've all just been so generous and so brave and, and they really have to do the bravest work in the show, I believe, the young, the young women. Um, 
and I'll never forget that first moment when uh, Gracie Gilbert in the first episode um, had to give birth to a baby and of course they brought a baby on set and and then I had to take away that baby from her without her seeing it and um, it was uh, it really brought home the seriousness of the subject matter we're dealing with and um, and it's impossible to understand how anyone could recover from that yeah. you know Mm. A few notable uh, changes to the cast this season. Uh, Ronan Keating has created a few headlines because you don't actually often see him in an acting role. And also Dan Hamill has joined the cast. Talk to us a little bit about them. Well, Dan Hamill is the new Doctor and... Um as soon as he began playing and, um, you know, as soon as we did the first read-through, I was taken back to MASH, which is, like, one of my all-time favourite TV series. And there's a little bit of a Hawkeye kind of... Um, <laughs> kind of uh, tone to him, which is great. He's a cheeky guy. He's a Vietnam vet. He's, um, he's a bit of a ladies' man. Um, and Dan naturally has this... Uh, this ease and this ability to make everybody feel comfortable and he's um he's a very relaxed and gorgeous guy and uh he fit in so well into the the group um and him and jess work wonderfully together and uh and yeah it's been wonderful having him and ronan comes in a little bit further on in the series and um of course, no one knew what to expect because we couldn't really look through his back catalogue, <laughs> you know. And um, and he walks on set and he's incredibly prepared, incredibly humble, incredibly um, enthusiastic, and uh, and worked beautifully. Does a beautiful performance and um, and was a real charming gentleman and. Um, uh, did not sort of swagger in and do the rock star thing at all. He was just a real, uh, a real team player, and um, and he's gorgeous. He's just lovely, you know. Everyone's totally in love with him. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess it would have been cool if he played a bit of the rock star too, anyway. Yeah, yeah. So we been, way, we would have just fun, gone right? whatever, Ronan. Whatever you do, it's fine. <laughs> now does Dan sort of replace in a way uh, Jonathan LaPaglia? Did was he in series three, Jonathan? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So Jonathan's uh, gone on to other pursuits, um, and so yes, Dan is the new Doctor, and um, and he comes in and Matron initially thinks that he's a great ally, um, and uh, well, yeah, of course she ends up being disappointed. <laughs> she doesn't keep friends for long. Poor oh, Matron. <laughs> Then Matron sort of has, you know, I'm wondering if Jessica Mariah's character and Matron are sort of becoming frenemies now because we've seen their relationship, they butt heads a lot over the years. But, of course, the longer it goes on and the deeper you go into this, then there's this begrudging respect for each other mm. in a way and you know some of the great you know female I mean we've got that show on showcase at the moment feud about the feud Betty oh. Davis and Joan Crawford and how it's fabulous they've actually got these things in common but they just cannot 
see eye to eye on things and I, mm. I look that is sort of almost like a, a a metaphor for your character's relationship with Jessica Marai yeah never ever going to see eye to eye but over the years she's softened a little bit hasn't she well yeah I mean it's so wonderful you mentioned Fuge because um, I hadn't thought of that but that's that's exactly what it is when I'm watching Fuge I think the same thing I think you have so much in common Mm -hmm. you actually understand each other better than anyone else would in the world because you're in the same position and the same goes for Joan and Matron They're, they're both fighting to to gain respect in an incredibly male-dominated environment and um and you know i think matron if she'd been even given one ounce of opportunity would have loved to have been a doctor you know i think she loves medicine and she loves the um you know the institution of, of the medical institution and and they're both fighting to to gain a place and uh and if they helped each other, they probably would be great support, a great support for each other. And I think there is a certain amount of that, and the, the writers have touched on it in this series of um, Matron, despite herself, can't help but feel incredibly jealous yes. of Joan. And um, she does. She's She's got so much more opportunities than Matron had and um, she's gorgeous and young and you know um, she manages to wrap all the doctors around a little finger you know and I think it drives Matron absolutely crazy I'm sure. because she wants to be that person yeah. you know um, but she can't admit it and so in t- instead of that she she attacks Joan um, and attacks her for the very things that Matron would love to be doing herself. I think there are um, ten episode seasons the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, Love Child. Is that sort of ten weeks work, or does it take a bit longer than that? Yeah, it takes a bit longer than that. Um, we do uh, two episodes at a time in each block, uh, and so we have one director per per block. So does that mean like then there's some interior and exterior? Is that kind of how they break them up? Yeah, it's basically depending on location. So all the matron office scenes will generally shoot in one day. Um, all the hospital scenes will take maybe a couple of days. Um, and there'll there'll generally be each block a couple of days of um, location, like King's Cross, the beach, you know, um, you know, churches, things like that, cemeteries, whatever. <laughs> um, so. Uh, so yeah, we'll, we'll we'll shoot all the scenes from two episodes, uh, depending on which location they're in. So you know, it, it you, we have incredible script supervisors who are on hand, but also you have to be really on top of where you are in the story, what you know, what you don't know, um, because you might be flipping back from yeah. two episodes, you know, one after the other. The so you need to lock off that probably what let's call it three months maybe yeah it's about 13 days per block yeah yeah so it's about two two weeks per block um 
So, yeah, you know, we, we get a few months' work out of it. Yeah. yeah. And you said this is the first time you've had a sort of a, 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 a you know, recurring series like this. Mm. Have you, has it cost you any other work? Have you, you know, because you, I'm guessing you're pretty much in demand for um, lots of stuff. Do you, have you had sort of many offers? You've thought, no, that wouldn't be bad, but I'm, I'm, I'm with Love Child, so I can't do that. Yeah, it's, it's happened a few times, um, you know, uh, but I'm very happy to be working. So, <laughs> you know, I think it's, um, you know, of course there's some things you go, oh, I would have loved to have done that. But, you know, and sometimes, you know, they can be accommodating and you can do maybe a couple of days on something. Like when I was doing this uh, series, they released me to go and do a couple of days on the Hamish and Andy show, okay. um, the new one, so th- that they're filming. Um so it helped that, was, that it's also a nine, I guess. Yeah, it did help a bit, I think. <laughs> I don't know if that would have been the same if it was another network. Well, you had an amazing run with nine, really. I mean, mm. you've gone from production to production and you went from How's That to uh, Love Child to Hide and Seek. The House of Hancock was in there too. Mm. It's been... They have really embraced you, haven't they? They have, yeah. I've been very, very fortunate, um, you know, that a woman in her 40s, um, you know, has been embraced by a network and um, that they think that there's enough roles for me and that they they really do... um, They do champion me and they have... um, Yeah, they... uh, I think they... think I can do anything you know which is sort of lovely it's, um, you know they're interested in challenging me and you know looking for new things for me because once upon a time you possibly would have been typecast with a role like Matron you know that's being that sort of you know thing like Cornelia Francis and the young doctors playing that sort of role she was typecast as the bitch and mm-hmm. you know no one ever gave her a kind of a, a role where she was playing funny Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you've managed to bypass that in a way because we think we think if you were playing Nene King in Paper Giants, the complete opposite of Matron. So, in you're actually incredibly fortunate in that a lot of times you haven't been typecast into playing that stern, yeah, authoritarian well, character. Although, but I could interrupt you and say, but you sort of maybe slightly typecast into power roles. Maybe. I mean, you know, Nini's powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Gina Reinhardt, you know, wow, power. <laughs> yeah. You know, so there yeah. is there is some recurring sort of um, elements to some of your key roles. Yeah, I guess, um, which has been wonderful because my greatest fear was that I was going to be typecast as Rhonda. <laughs> you know, so um, yeah, so funny yeah, yeah, you know, and so and I haven't played a character like Rhonda. <laughs> when you did know. you fear that though? Did you fear that when those ads kind of crossed over and became this huge? It, it mm. went from being an ad to becoming this monumental thing. Sort of like when you start pop culture phenomenon. Yeah, I mean, when you've got three hundred extras calling out Rhonda, Rhonda. In that first ad um, and then I started walking down the street and people started calling out Rhonda yeah. I thought oh no and that was before the whole Couture thing happened yeah. um, so the 
the decision to then shoot the Katut ads was a real like, well, I might be saying goodbye to my career here, yeah. you know, um, and I and I chose to go for it and. Um, and you know, could have gone either way, and I'm really, really, really fortunate that what it didn't. What big role do you think you got because you became so that Ronda romance became so phenomenally popular? Do you think that then actually, even though you feared it would do the opposite, that actually propelled you into one of those big roles that then has set up all of these series you've done one after another? Well, I was very lucky that I'd been working for 20 years in the theatre and I had a lot of people that I'd worked with that knew I was more than that, you know, whereas most people would um, in the street go, well, now you're an actor, you know. <laughs> um, I had worked with Dana Reed before, who's a fabulous director, and um, she saw me on that ad and she... She was the one that went to Channel 9 and said, Mandy's a really good actor and I think she'd be great as the secretary for the Kerry Packer thing. And so I really owe it to her and the fact that she knew I, I was an actor, you know. Um, it's all about who you know. It really is, you know. And it's doing those hard years in the yeah. theatre, you know. I think it really it trained me up to be versatile and um, and it and it did it made connections for sure you know because um, of theatre that you've got no one to hide behind you you have to be able to yeah you can't be edited you know into a good performance yeah well, I must have been aware of your versatility because you've done comedy ink for that which yeah. you know I, it's so long ago now I don't remember a lot of it but in any sort of comedy sketch show you'd be playing a whole bunch of different roles wouldn't you yeah which is what I love you know thing. it was on for a few years yeah I mean I, I love that I love the uh, of course I you know I um I love the challenge of playing myself, <laughs> it's, um, but I really do love that feeling of transformation. It's part of the, what attracted me to the industry in the first place. I still remember when I was a kid, you know, and did my first plays at primary school and um, and coming out and being somebody different, you know. I, I love that feeling. It's, you know, it is a bit sort of it's like alchemy. It's like, you know... Um, yeah, I've become someone else. It's, yeah. a, it's a it's it's a great drug, I guess. You know, and it's what I love about the the thing that I do. Andy, how many Ronda ads were there? Um, that's a good question. There was the first one where where she you know walks out and people start yelling, and then there was I think there was maybe two on the beach. Yeah, one where I'm getting the foot rub and and Kutut's giving me a drink, and then the Kutut things happen from that. And there was two more after that. Right. It's about five, I think. Yes. Mm. Without sort of pushing the point here, but it must have been financially lucrative to, for you to stay with it. And, yes. And as an actor going from job to job, it's hard to knock back something like that, I would imagine. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was a, absolutely a financial decision. <laughs> I have no qualms saying that. Yeah. You know, I was a theatre actor and... Um, you know, I for 20 years had had that feeling of not knowing when I was going to pay the rent. You know, and um, 
and the lure of, of that money, I, I knew that I'd always have a theatre career and so I was happy with that, you know, and um, but getting a little bit of extra money sort of, you know, um, set me up for a while. Being identified so much with one brand, does that taint you for other um, advertisements or endorsements or does it make you a bit hotter? <laughs> I don't know. Well, no one's come banging down the door or anything. So I, I'm not sure. I, I guess, you know, for another insurance company, that would be... Um, they, they wouldn't want me. Although maybe they would. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it, yeah, it's a very, it's a very, very interesting world. But you know, I, I also did know that it was time to finish it as well. You know, and go on and do other things. Yeah, yeah. Just, I, I want to talk a little bit briefly about comedy ink. I think before that, did you have a recurring role in MDA? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, I. Um, that was just a great little character who was. Um, uh, a lawyer with extreme anxiety. <laughs> she was um, so she was a bit of a ditzy lawyer. And um, Lena Lewis is that the character's name? That sounds right. Yep. I can't quite remember that part. But um, um, but yeah, she was great fun to play, and um, and so they started just popping her in a few. But it, it was never really said that she was going to be a recurring character. She just kept coming back. Their writers kept putting her in, which was great. It was yeah. really fun. Was that screen time, MDA? I'm trying yeah. to remember. It was ABC. All I can think of was, it was an ABC. I think, it, drama, yeah. I think it might have been screen time. Then, then Comedy Inc. Greg. 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 Yeah, that's screen Greg. time. Yeah. 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 Greg yeah. yeah, then Comedy Inc., I think, which was, um, was that Mark Fennessy was involved? Yes, in was Mark Jason and Carl Fennessy. I don't know if Jason was involved in that, but any, yeah, Mark and Carl, yeah. before, back when they still had their own production company, I think, yes, before they yeah. went into Freeman. They were Crackerjack. That's it, Crackerjack, yeah. Yes, yeah. yes, okay. Yeah, but just, just ran, ran, you made lots of episodes, didn't you? We did, yeah. And it's, it's funny you should mention it, because hardly anybody mentions it when they're interviewing me. It's like it never happened. Well, that's um, my real first memory of you, you know, that, because, I mean, you... They don't repeat that show. You'd think that comedy, skip comedy show, that would be the sort of thing that you could repeat on one of those channels, and yet it, it kind of, mm. it goes away and then it's it's never seen again. Exactly. So it's sort and of you know, stuff that would travel, Genevieve Morris, yeah. um, Ben Oxenbold, yeah. Emily Tahini, who's, yeah. you know, now in the Sean McAuliffe show, and... Um, you all worked so hard in that, and you played lots of different characters as my Oh, memory, we did. Yeah. It was like, it was really, I don't know if they'd make anything like that anymore, because it's, um, we were literally getting changed in the back of cars, <laughs> you know, it was like guerrilla filmmaking, and we'd, f we'd film three days of location up here, so we'd have Monday as a read-through, where we'd all get the scripts for the first time, and then go to wardrobe, get some cozies, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, we'd uh, shoot locations in Sydney and sometimes, like, four locations in a day, driving around and, you know, as I said, you know, getting a getting a sandwich for as you're catering and, you know, just getting dressed in the back of public toilets and things like that. And then 
Friday and Saturday, we'd fly down to Melbourne and shoot all the live studio stuff. Um, which would, you know, go till 12 o'clock at night. And um, and then we'd have Sunday off and then we'd fly back to Sydney and begin the whole thing again. It was intense, insane TV making. Um, yeah, was it the most fun Oh, it was ever? so fun. Yeah. It was so fun. Yeah. It really was. We just laughed and laughed and laughed yeah. and... Um, and I, yeah, I don't know how we survived. We'd had no sleep. We'd all, you know, <laughs> uh, have a couple of drinks after work. It was just, you know, it was mad. It was crazy. Yeah. My memory of that, Andrew, is you had to be a real fan because I think it was on lots of different time slots. Oh, nine, yeah. Nine and move it around. <laughs> yeah. Some nights it would be early, like at 8.30. And other yeah. weeks it would be quite late. Yeah. And you really had to follow the guide carefully yeah. to uh, keep track of it. Yeah, and there was a f- there were a few um, comedy shows around at the same time, so I think they were sort of you know yes. butting up against each other all the time, and so we never knew if we were going to survive or not. Sketch comedy was co- no, no, no. Well, we got black comedy, yeah. which is, but, but otherwise. But look, we're talking about 2017. What's been on in 2017, sketch comedy wise? Mm. It's kind of nothing yet. Yeah. Mm. We're not at the halfway point of the year yet, but I can't think. Of it. I think it's seen as very risky. Um, any sort of comedy these days is seen as risky. I think for programmers, you know, when it's. Um, yeah, I mean, I can imagine. I can imagine it would be quite expensive too. You know, I mean. Um, you know, yeah, when I look... Foxtel spent a fortune on yeah. Slather. Right, you know, yeah. And they spent an absolute fortune and those ratings rain, did not hold up. And you've got to have patience with sketch comedy. Mm. You've got to, you know, give those actors time to create characters that yeah. come back again and again. And you've got to have patience with the format. And uh, But if the audience doesn't come along for the ride... Mm. And the network's not, it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Yeah, mm. a lot of writers. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, it's a lot of people involved. Mm. Now, look, before we let you go, Mandy, because you're filming today, aren't oh, you? Yeah. You're about to head off to work, so we really appreciate you coming in here first. <laughs> so well done. Is there anything that you'd like to do that you haven't been offered yet or haven't had the chance that you'd like to tick off? Um... Now you've got me thinking, you know, maybe it would be good to play a character that's um, that's less in control. Yeah, <laughs> a bit more vulnerable or something. Yeah, more, yeah. Um, it would be, um, yeah, it would be probably time for me to do a character like that. Maybe I think. you could come into Dr. Doctor and <laughs> of, of my real life really sister. Wild, <laughs> opposite to because she plays it, her character's quite stitched up in a way. She too. is, yeah. Yeah, she is. And um, fun fact, uh, <gasps> we're wearing the same watch. Really? Yeah. Well, I can't go look out for that. It's the same costume designer and she said, um, I think you both should wear the same watch. Mr. <laughs> egg in there. Yeah. <laughs> so how is it two sisters, both actors? What? Well, um, we've tried to work it out. Um, look, my parents both love movies. Um, Dad's an Irishman and they're great storytellers, you know. Um, he's not with us anymore, but he's um, he was... 
he always had a guitar in his hand. He'd always be telling a story, um, a tall story or something like that. And I think, you know, our our desire to tell stories comes from him. Um, Mum loved the ballet. But we grew up in the country and we, we didn't really have any access to um, films or... or um, you know, stage shows or anything like that. So I think it was sort of maybe growing up with uh, parents with those sort of sensibilities and being in the country where our imaginations could develop and from as long as I can remember, we put on plays for our family, <laughs> which they endured. And, um, and yeah, Hayley and I both love films and... Um, and you know in the theater so yeah we've just you know maybe I started first as a you know as a career and Hayley thought yeah it is possible and it's really been great that we've both we've both uh, been in the in the industry together but we've never worked together and um and uh, we've supported each other and also developed our own careers, you know, uh, separate from each other, yeah. which has been really, really great. I'm so happy that she's uh, she's found this great role in this very successful, fabulous show. It's fabulous. Mm. That show is fabulous. It's really... It's and got a, Andrew's the biggest fan of uh, Doctor Doctor. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. yeah, it's got a huge following and, yeah. yeah, and she's having lots of fun. It's it, great. It's really risky. It takes risks. You know, it's not yeah. like a cookie-cutter medical show on a commercial network. It's really taken lots and lots of risks. Yeah. And I think, you know, you're a period piece, but I think that that show with the country town that's got the microbrewery and the mm -hmm. woman who's running for mayor, Tina Bursell's character, it's all these things mm. in the show where I just go, yes, yes, that's happening. Yes. That's on the money. There's nothing in that show that plays false to me. Yeah. It's really, really well. Really really um, made with great maturity and um, and uh, and you know great writers mm. you know um, and yeah great directors great yeah. great performances yeah it's really good when because James asked you what role would you like to play in the future would you would you have any hesitation or would you be nervous about playing another real life person after the Controversy playing Gina Reinhardt in House of Hancock. Well, I, you know, I've, I've done it a few times now, and um, and yeah, that's you know, it's sad to me that all that work will never be seen again. But at the same time, I always understood the great responsibility I was taking on in. And how uncomfortable it would be for somebody to watch their life be portrayed that way. And um, I do, I do sympathise with someone having to watch themselves <laughs> that way, you know. Um, and I guess she's just a, a woman that has enough uh, resources that she's able to say, "I don't like it, make it go away," you know. Um, and it's gone away. It's you know, gone away. <laughs> we started to do this. You can't buy it on DVD anymore. Because mm. it's, it's one of those shows I thought it was so fantastic. But you always just think it's so fantastic. It'll be on TV again. The next time that's on, I'll watch it again. And then when you suddenly read in the newspaper that 
it's going to cease to exist. Mm. Well, actually, now I want to get this on DVD and it's been taken off the shelves. And you go, oh, my God, there's I know. TV now that we're never going to see again because it's so entertaining, that show. Exactly. And then you look at, you know, Molly getting all these awards mm. at the Logies and yeah. things like that, you know, and you kind of go... For me, it was sad that there was no sense that she could see that perhaps it was a, a good thing, public relations-wise, you know, because there, there, was, there wasn't an element of us trying to demonise her or anything, you know, my, certainly not from my point of view. There were absolute um, insights in there to, to make you look at her life and see... You know. Yeah, you know, and uh, I think I think it's important. Um, I don't think it's comfortable for people, as I said, but I think it's important that we we talk about and celebrate and um, discuss, you know, Australian figures and Australian history, and you know, and um, uh, I hope that doesn't go away. And I'm sort of interested, you know, that there hasn't been such a huge public, uh, you know, professional discussion about what happened and um, I'll be really interested to see the ramifications on on the biopic, mm. um, you know, whether producers do feel that it's too risky now or, or you know, if, if it's done at stash or, or what, you know, I think it's a really great debate to be happy. Yeah. had, you know, it sort of it got buried and everyone's been quite silent about it. Oh, it's such a shame. Mm. Oh, Andrew's cut through the... Uh, Thank you, Andrew. And he's brought it up again. Look, just to, just to wind it up from <laughs> us, um, any interest um, overseas? Do you have an agent in the US? Um, uh, no, I don't. No, no, okay. No, I don't. Um, You're happy you know, working here? You don't have real ambitions to I am, but, you know, if, if I had a Jackie Weaver situation, <laughs> I wouldn't I wouldn't say no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Mandy, look, thanks for coming in so much. Um, Love Child, it's back on air at nine. Thanks for joining us this week. Uh, You too, Andrew. Thanks, James. Thank you. Thank you, James.